Why do you love it so much? I think if you own your own business, you have to be prepared to take risks. Being a woman doesn't hold you back from achieving success. Yep, so if you're struggling, just stop and pause and, and really reflect on why am I struggling here. But I've also worked really hard and telling me it's luck, I think, just takes away some of that recognition of the hard work. One last question. Welcome to Tea with the Queen, a show where I talk with some of my favourite go-getters, inspiring and courageous women in leadership and business. I'm your host, Emma McQueen. I'm a business coach, executive coach, author and speaker. And for 20 years, I've been working with women to unlock their potential and get paid their worth while doing work they love. My guest today is Kylie Broadfoot, a mindset coach and a mentor, someone who empowers women business owners to live a life they love. And Kylie's someone herself who loves what she does. It was a relatively recent change of career, though. You'll hear shortly how she took a leap of faith to start her consultancy, KMB Coaching. Before that, Kylie worked for many years as an occupational therapist, helping people with disability to return to the workforce or to study. Kylie has many lessons to share for those in business looking to get the most out of what they do. I loved this chat. I trust you will too. Kylie, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Tell me, what's an occupational therapist and how did you get into doing that? Yes, so an occupational therapist or an OT for short really helps people to gain or resume independence in a range of areas of their life. So we often think about occupation being a job, but in in the occupational therapy sense, it's all around helping someone to become more independent or resume function in any area. So that could be, you know, personal care. It could be getting back to cooking or something like that, returning to study or driving after an illness, injury or disability. So OTs can work in hospitals with acute and rehabilitation clients in the community or in private practice. And yeah, you can work in aged care or with children, be a driving assessor or a hand therapist. It's really broad. Oh, I had no idea it was so broad. So many categories and so many things. It's amazing. Yeah. Yep. Lots of variety, which I liked. So what kind of people did you assist as a therapist? So I worked in a range of different areas. When I finished uni, I decided that I wanted to do some travel, but that I better do some work as well. So I got a job over in England with a working holiday visa and I worked in a hospital up in Liverpool and helped people to safely return home with assistive devices and so forth once they'd had some surgery or other medical issues. And then I came back to Australia after I'd fitted in my travel and worked at Warrnambool Base Hospital and being a country hospital did lots of different things as well. So I worked in paediatrics with children with developmental and learning delays as well as doing neurological rehab with people who'd had things like a stroke I also worked at the special development school and it was a really good opportunity to get lots of different experience. Then I got a job back in Melbourne at the MS Society and MS is a degenerative neurological condition. So it affects the central nervous system, which is the brain and spinal cord. So people could have any kind of symptoms from that. So it sometimes affects people's mobility, their sensation, communication, and also things that were less obvious from the outside. So having really high levels of fatigue or 
cognitive dysfunction, things like memory, planning, problem solving and things like that. I also worked with the families as well. So running things like children's camps, you know, talking to partners of the person that was affected, employers and so forth, and ran various groups like stress management groups and things like that. And then I moved on to work with a federal government employer with people with acquired brain injuries who wanted to be able to get back to work. And they'd often had a really great work history and that was something that was really important to them, but they couldn't necessarily go back to the same job or they needed some support to do that. So I assisted them to get back to the same job with the same employer if they could or else work out what on earth they could do if they couldn't do what they'd always done. Mm, I love that. I um, Such a range of stakeholders, such a range of different injuries or conditions or whatever. And I'm guessing that you need a fairly decent degree of emotional intelligence and empathy, as well as being able to switch off and not take your work home. And we all know how freaking hard that is. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So it would have been highly beneficial for me to have a high degree of emotional intelligence. I definitely (laughs) had a lot of empathy and I had that kind of ticked off. But at that stage of my life, I really didn't have the emotional intelligence. I had a high level of anxiety. I didn't really know how to switch off. I wasn't very resilient and I didn't know how to manage my emotions very well. So some of those jobs, which you can probably guess were pretty full on, I found it really hard and I did take my work home with me. And so, yeah, I had, you know, really poor coping strategies like getting home and, you know, opening the bottle of wine to try to cope with what was going on in my day-to-day work life. Yeah, that's that's actually really hard. You worked in London for four years. What was the reason behind the move? Yeah, so a little bit of a a story to that one. So a couple of years before that, I had been traveling in Thailand. My brother was living over there with his family as expats. And I was uh, off doing a, a trip in Thailand and met this English guy who was on a long haul trip traveling in Thailand as well and was traveling in the same direction as, you know, coming back towards Australia. So we kept in touch and He spent some time in Melbourne and then was working in New Zealand and I found myself in this long-distance relationship that I never thought I would do and we decided to see if we could make a go of it and I was keen to do some more travel and was able to get a working holiday visa and tee up some work over there and so, yeah, we found ourselves living together in London and, yeah, I was working over there doing community neuro rehab Oh my goodness. So not only were you dealing with the anxiety and the stress and the emotions of the job you had, but you were also dealing with a new relationship. Yes, quite right. Yes. And moving countries and getting a job over there and living with a new partner and all the things. Yes. Starting to build a bit of a picture of resilience here, Carly. (laughs) (laughs) So are things done differently, better or worse, um, more or less bureaucratic in the UK? Yeah, so I think it really probably depends on where you're based. I'd been offered a job in central London in Chelsea and I turned that down and took one in southeast London. So where I worked was a little bit like an episode of The Bill, if you've ever seen that, with the high-rise apartment blocks and the concrete jungle 
you know, it was a poor part of the country and so it did have a lot of challenges and I had come from a public servant job and, you know, where I had, a you know, my own space and a beautiful desk and lots of room and we, you know, it was good there. So it was very different to the actual environment that I was working in and the sort of places that I was visiting. But, you know, I met uh, amazing people over there and made some really great friends and it was an amazing opportunity to pop over to Europe on little long weekends and things like that as well. So I really enjoyed that experience. Yeah, that's awesome. And when you came back, the Gillard government had signed off on the National Disability Insurance Scheme. And then a few years later, you worked at the NDIA. That's the government agency which administers the scheme. Has the NDIS been a good thing? Yes, I believe that it has been a really good thing for many, many people. There's a lot of people that are able to receive assistance now that wouldn't have otherwise. There's a real focus on building people's capacity and helping them to be as independent as they can be and, you know, obtaining things like baseline data for how someone is going and then looking to try to improve how they're managing You know, in the press, there's always stories of things that haven't gone to plan and challenges that people are experiencing. And of course, it hasn't been without its challenges, but I think overall, it has really helped a lot of people and helped people that wouldn't have been able to benefit previously. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You've since moved out of those roles and today you're the founder and CEO of KMB Coaching. What was the decision behind this dare I say, pivot in your career. (laughs) No one likes the word pivot, but seriously, that's what it is. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So this is something that I thought about for quite a long time. I had seen coaching and looked into it and, you know, we humans can be quite good at staying in our comfort zones and avoiding the unknown. So I thought about it for a long time, but occupational therapy or OT and the jobs that I'd had I enjoyed them from the perspective of helping people, but they weren't really my passion. And I eventually thought, look, I just need to find out. This is the only thing that I've ever wanted to do apart from what I was doing. So I thought, look, it's time to just find out. And if it doesn't work out, that's fine. But yeah, lo and behold, it it turned out to be my passion, which I'm grateful for. Yeah. So it just went on from there, really. Now, that's awesome. And who do you coach from one coach to another? Who do you coach? (laughs) So I predominantly work with female small business owners. I also, you know, get people that are men and people that are employed, but predominantly that's who I work with and tends to be women who are juggling, you know, running a business with having a family and their personal life and so on. So very busy. I usually work with people who identify with being people pleasers. So that's where they try to keep everybody else happy to the detriment of themselves. So they end up very time poor, tend to put everyone else's needs first, end up feeling exhausted, stressed out, having no time for themselves without feeling guilty. And yeah, like they're living groundhog day in, day out. So I help them to let go of the people pleasing without feeling guilty so they can have energy and enjoy spending time the way they want to and just feel a lot more fulfilled in life. I love that. Yeah. So it end, they end up saving time by not saying no to everything so that they can and really set healthy boundaries that support them. 
And then I also run workshops and trainings uh, for businesses and run retreats for small business owners to help them to take time out and step away from the business and reconnect with themselves, work out really what they want in their business and life moving forwards. I have heard that your retreats are magnificent. And I'm curious, at what point does someone self-identify as a people pleaser? At what point in their life? Yeah, like when you say you work with women who are people pleasers, do they know they've got that problem or is life just a mess? Uh, They do usually know that they're people pleasing, so they know that they're trying to keep. Another way of saying it would be that I try and keep everyone else happy or I avoid conflict, or I'm a bit of a control freak or perfectionist. So those tendencies tend to come up as well. And yeah, it happens when people tend to put, make other people's needs more important than their own. So anyone who finds themselves at the bottom of their priority list. So basically any woman. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is common, let's say that. (laughs) I bet it is common. But I was was just curious about whether people, what triggers them to go, "Mm, I need to go and see someone because I've got this people pleasing issue, do you think? A lot of the time they do know, but it's not until they realise that it's what it's costing them. So when it starts to impact on, you know, they're just so exhausted all the time, they start to notice that it's impacting on their children and so their kids are starting to have similar behaviours. Sometimes people find that they go in the cycle of going hard and then getting sick or getting migraines or, you know, they have this pattern of up and down so they don't know how to take time out and support themselves without getting sick and getting sick is the rest. So I guess it's those kinds of things. Yeah, most people aren't going around thinking I need to find myself a coach, but it's usually once they start to hear that message or see some of the things that I'm talking about and they see themselves in that and realise Yes, that's definitely me. <laughs> they go, mm, I've got to fix this issue. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that. What do you love about it? I guess I've always loved helping people, but with coaching I feel that it, it enables people to create change rapidly and it lasts. So it's not like they need a burst of something and then they're going to go back to their old way. It's quite transformational coaching. So They can first of all gain awareness of what's been happening with this people pleasing and they can then I can help them to let go of that. So they it's just a pattern that they've learnt over time, usually from a young age. And once they know that, we can take steps and do the coaching that helps to let go of that and help them to really connect with themselves. So they don't need to become a new person, a better version, a new improved. We actually help them to take away the layers that aren't serving them, helping them and so on, and they're already underneath. So they're reconnecting with who they are when they don't feel like they need to be someone else. So, yeah, I just love seeing people transform. I say transform, but it's, you know, coming back to themselves and just feeling that certainty in who they are being unapologetically themselves and knowing what they stand for and just letting the rest of it, you know, the rest of it kind of slip away. It's very, um, yeah, it's empowering for them and liberating for them. And it's, yeah, it's a privilege. I, I really enjoy working with people and seeing that happen. It's so interesting because I don't know the skills that you've gained from being an OT to now helping 
women or men with people-pleasing tendencies, it feels like you would use similar skills, similar empathy, emotional challenges, et cetera, et cetera, in your current role that you would have learnt with your first role. So all roads kind of lead to this moment in time, I guess. Is that how you feel? Yeah, I think I got really good in my former work life at having conversations with people that were maybe challenging where something was going on and they needed to hear some truth or, yeah, I think I've got pretty well-developed capacity to hear what's being said and what's not being said, to know when someone's ready to change or when I need to plant the seed with them for them to consider over time, to have the hard conversations because sometimes that's what's needed, you know, As you know, coaches aren't there to be someone's best friend. They're there to help them to move forward. So I think all of that expertise in the past really has helped with that. And I have additional tools to add to the toolkit through my coaching and mentoring that enable people to create change as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Kylie, any words of advice for business owners or professionals or anyone really who feels like they just don't have enough hours in the day? Yeah. So I I think one of the key questions we can ask ourselves is what am I prioritizing? You know, I know with people that are people pleasing, they're actually prioritizing other people ahead of themselves. So they will say yes to doing things that they don't want to do, which makes them busier than they need to be. So yeah, is this a priority for me or for somebody else can be beneficial And I guess we all have a choice in how busy we make ourselves. We have a, you know, if you're running a business, you have a choice with how many clients you have or how busy you are to some extent. You know, everyone has 24 hours in a day. You know, I even remind myself sometimes that, you know, some of the busiest leaders in the world still have the same amount of time as I do. So it's looking at the choices that we're making and taking responsibility for that, I think, as well. and. I guess what tweaks can we make in terms of productivity as well? I like to get up early and exercise. So I've ticked a box for the day and had time for me and that works well for me, but we can just start small as well. Like start to work out what are the top three things I want to do today. I often work with people that have a to-do list that's really unattainable and very lengthy. And instead of focusing on the small amount of things that they can get done that day and just knock them over, they get overwhelmed by a long list. Yeah, so that can help. And I think just focusing on whether we're being busy or being productive. Sometimes we're busy but very scattered and not necessarily productive. Um, It's so easy to get distracted by being on the phone or something. So, you know, turning our notifications off and all those really practical, beneficial strategies. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is get clear on your priorities. Where do you fall in the priority list? And if you are doing everything for everyone else out of obligation or for any other reason, sometimes it can turn into resentment. That's what I've found in my coaching with women. And then they're cranky with their families and then their families get the worst bit of them at the end of the day. And then routine is important. So you've got a good morning routine. I've got a good morning and evening routine as well. And I think that sets you up nicely. But I also heard that you snuck exercise in there, which is awesome. And then just focus on three things, which I think is really good because if you can get those three things done, just give yourself a pat on the back. I agree about the big to-do list. And then the final thing I heard you say was work out if you're being busy or you're being productive. 
But I think it all comes back to that priorities list, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And just what you're focusing on. If, you, if you're focused on the fact that you don't have enough time in the day and you're just always overbooking yourself or whatever, you know, what can you change about that as well? Yeah, absolutely. So um, where can people find you if they would like to work with you? If they're listening to this going, oh, my goodness, I didn't realise I was a people pleaser and ta-da, I am actually. (laughs) (laughs) So my website is kmbcoaching.com.au and all the information is there. Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming on today. And I hope that people have found a few little tips. And if you need to some help with people pleasing, contact Carly. Thanks so much for having me, Emma. I really enjoyed it. That's it for this episode of Tea with the Queen. If you love this episode, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. And you're very welcome to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us with promoting the podcast for others to listen to inspirational topics on leadership and business. And if you want to contact me directly, all my details are at my website, emmamcqueen.com.au.